Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 23rd, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 11, and we are at page 161, the third paragraph. Today's readers are, on the 12th step, Nancy H., 12 Traditions, Esther F., and reading the text are Katie G., Craig F., and Deb W. The reference numbers for Sunday, October 22nd, is 10574. That's 10574. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members who are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy H. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the privilege of reading. Thank you, Nancy. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 
five. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, OA should, Overeaters Anonymous should uh, remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 161, paragraph three, and we'll read through two paragraphs commenting on both paragraphs. I will now ask Katie G to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my fellows. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic. Under only slightly different conditions, the same thing is taking place in many Eastern cities. In one of these, there is a well-known hospital for the treatment of alcoholic and drug addiction. Six years ago, one of our number was a patient there. <clears throat> many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. We are greatly indebted to the doctors in attendance there, for he, although it might prejudice his own work, has told us of his belief in ours. Every few days, the doctor suggests our approach to one of his patients. Understanding our work, he can do this with an eye selecting those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. Many of us, former patients, go there to help. Then, in this eastern city, there are informal meetings, such as we have described to you, where, there are now, where you may now see scores of members. There are the same fast friendships. There is the same helpfulness to one another as you find among our Western friends. There is a good bit of travel between East and West, and we foresee a great increase in this helpful interchange. And let me start my timer. There's a lot here. Um, I guess I was still first struck by this idea that many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. 
That is so true for me. I'll never forget my first OA meeting um, where the woman who had um, been asked to supervise me in college when I was anorexic um, and she was morbidly obese at that time, she was asked to supervise me so that um, my weight didn't go any down any further and if it did, I would have to be sent home. She was there. She was there and she was in a normal body size and she offered to be my sponsor. And um, from there, you know, the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, um, specifically the rooms that um, study the big book, have, have revolutionized my understanding of God. Like when I um, am with all of you, I just feel lit up by the power and presence of God. Like I just, I can't doubt God. I can't hide God. Like I just, the fact that I'm alive today in my adult life, I've been 228, 110 pounds, anorexia and bulimia and and to say nothing of the insanity of the things I've done in my mind and the things that I've done to my 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 fellow man and woman, like I should be dead and I'm not and it is so amazing and because of you guys, I have learned to experience and connect with God because God was not somebody or an entity that was easily accessible for me. I had so many prejudice. And I love that there's this doctor, right, who is saying, you know, you, who's helping us select those who are willing to recover on a spiritual basis. I mean, I recently was speaking with a doctor and tell, talking about some anxieties I was having, and I was again prescribed medications, which is not interesting for me. And it's certainly not within the scope of my personhood to say that medications are not important, but I don't hear, okay, Katie, you need some more God. And the second piece I wanted to talk about is the fast friendships <clears throat> and the same helpfulness. Y'all just drop your phones when I call, you know, like friendship, goodwill, kindliness, and brotherhood. And I love this idea of sisterhood, right? Because when I call you and I'm snot-nosed, messy, crying, or I'm angry, or I'm afraid, you're praying with me and you're helping me see why I am the problem and God is the solution. And that's a kind of sisterlyhood, brotherlyhood that that isn't what my friends were before. Like, I used to have friends that I held hostage. Y'all are so much bigger, right? Like, and when y'all call me, we try and practice the presence of God because that's all we have today. And and that's all we need today. And it is such a privilege to be one among you, to feel the presence of God, and to continue to grow and change each day. So I'm going to keep showing up, God willing, one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Okay. Um, we're at the bottom of page 161 under only slightly different conditions. We read through two paragraphs ending in, in this helpful interchange on page 162. Who would like to share on those two Paragraphs. Um, R. Harlan G. Larry I got Ness. Melissa C. Okay, I got Nessa R. Larry K. Harlan G. And Melissa C. Deb and there, there were Bob. some at the beginning. Okay, Deb W. Bobby. Bob. Bobby. Madam. Anyone else that I missed okay let's just go with these that's seven let's go with nessa r larry k harlan g melissa c deb w bob b and matt elm okay go ahead please nessa 
Thank you. Um, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And um, now I just thought, I guess, zeroed in onto the phrase willing and able to recover because um, willingness here is the key. And um, a dear friend of mine in program passed on to me something that was passed on to her that um, the meaning of willingness doesn't mean wanting to do something. It means doing something even though we may not want to. And um, that doing something although we may not want to is um, tolerate discomfort because you know this disease is uncomfortable, life is uncomfortable, and Abstinence prior to recovery and the recovery process is uncomfortable. Um, You know, I spent so many years of my life, so many decades of my life, avoiding discomfort, trying to find the easier, softer way that would allow me to literally have my cake and eat it too. You know, I used food to avoid the discomfort of dealing with situations, dealing with people, dealing with challenges. and then I, once I thought that once food and, and weight became a, my problem, which I thought was my problem, I found out later they were my solution to my problems. But when I thought they were my problems, I kept looking for the easier, softer way that would enable me to avoid the discomfort of the consequences of my out-of-control eating. Um, and I have learned in recovery that tolerating discomfort is is part of life, and I need to... Um, be willing to to deal with it. Not want to deal with it, but just be willing to deal with it. Um, it is uncomfortable to be abstinent prior to the mental obsession being removed, uh, but it's something that we have to do if we truly want to recover, and that is the, willing, the meaning of willingness. You know, I have to keep the food down long enough in order for me to work the 12 steps of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, of Overeaters Anonymous, that will bring me that neutrality around the food, so that that doesn't be that is um, stops being a challenge, stops being a discomfort. Because once I'm a, in a uh, once I am in a position of neutrality, you know the food food doesn't really call to me, so it's no longer uncomfortable. But until I get there, it is, and I need to be willing to remain entirely abstinent. Um, I need to be willing to work the steps quickly without procrastinating, especially when we get to those um, very uncomfortable steps, you know, four and nine, uh, which actually are the liberating steps I found in my experience. Um, So willingness to tolerate discomfort is uh, part of growing up and part of recovering, an integral part of living in a recovered state. Um, You know, the time. Thank you. Abstinence and the 12 steps gave me that. And I am so grateful for that. And I attend to that I pass. Thank you, Nessa. Okay, Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Um, this is Larry Kay. I'm, I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. It's raining here. It doesn't feel so good when it rains. I'm in my car. Um, which we talked about feelings, you know, the feel, feeling connected to God today. I, I'm, I'm grateful that my feelings are more aligned with the truth today because, you know, the, the one thing that all feelings have in common is that they were originally designed 
to convince you to follow them. It's part of the, I guess it's part of natural selection, survival, survival. And, and they feel right and true almost by definition. In fact, your feelings actually discourage you from viewing them objectively. See, because feelings influence us in a way that makes it hard to turn the tables on them and reverse the, the servant-master relationship we have with these feelings. I'm glad my feelings are aligned with the truth today. You know, can feelings be false? Well, well certainly. I mean, it, it once felt good, and it felt right, and it felt pleasurable to eat a dozen donuts without a care in the world, other than perhaps the, the feeling of shame later on. See, the disease through feelings convinces us of a lie, and we, we surrender to a feeling that binging is just the thing that will give me the freedom from release, from worry. It's going to quiet that, uh, that monkey chatter in my head, and it's going to make me feel normal. And it's my friend, and it's my lover, and it's my saving grace, and it doesn't judge me. It feels like it doesn't judge me, and, and even the anticipation of it feels wonderful. You know, dear God, bring me more of that feeling, more of that truth, right? It's a lie. You know, what if there was a power to replace the lie? I hope I can see the virtue of <clears throat> subjecting my feelings to investigation today. Because if not, through this process, I'll never embark on this practical program of action. I'll, I'll remain on the sidelines. I'll remain wonderfully obedient to my glorious master, food. See, my feelings are not facts. Thank God that I, my feelings are aligned with the truth today. God made that possible through this process, this program of action. can't trust my feelings before. Today I can. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Harlan G., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Thank you, Katie, and thank you to Team Monday uh, for making this magnificent meeting possible. Thank you for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I walk in here today on the shoulders of giants, and many giants, but I walk in here specifically today because of Dr. William Duncan Silkworth in New York. Because the hospital that we're talking about is the Towns Hospital in New York City, and the doctor that we're talking about is Dr. William Duncan Silkworth. Let's go back to page 15, if you have a big book in front of you, for just a second here. And it says here, my wife and I abandon ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems. It was fortunate for my old business associate to remain skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. It was not too well at the time. It was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Here's the nugget. Many times I have gone to my old hospital, the towns, in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. We commenced to make many fast friends, and a fellowship has grown up among us, which is a wonderful thing to feel a part. This Silkworth, this Dr. Silkworth, did not just give us the doctor's opinion. Although, Diana, it would have been enough if that's all he gave us. He gave Wilson 
Parkhurst, Burwell, Fitz Mayo, and others an opportunity after seeing the value of one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic that we could get through to the alcoholic in ways he as a doctor cannot. And he allowed it reluctantly because these were not professionals. These were drunks. And little by little by little by little, he became convinced that he alone as a doctor could not bring about the necessary recovery, that these non-professionals could reach these guys so that in 1937, 38, when the book was written, he wrote these words, in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. That took a lot of convincing. But it is as true then as it is today that we must be of service. I hear this all the time. I don't want to sponsor. I'm afraid. I don't want to sponsor. It's a 12-step program, not an 11-step program. If we use the book, we cannot hurt them. If they want to recover, we can't say the wrong thing. If they don't want to recover, we can't say the right thing. But we can go out there and be of service. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, Melissa C., you're up, followed by Deb W. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking, like, what an incredibly beautiful example Dr. Silkworth was, you know, and um, that I could really apply um, his fearless desire to be helpful in the workplace um, was greater than his um, fear of maybe um, ruining his reputation or looking like a fool or, um, you know, and God, I really, I need to bring that spirit with me today. I've been struggling in the workplace and, and you know, when I pray and meditate on it, it's my fear. And, um, you know, and I'm so grateful to hear people talk this morning about feelings. You know, feelings of fear can take me down, um, but I do have a program of action that I can rely on um, 100%, and it puts me in touch with my higher power, which I can rely on 100% um, to arrest my fear. And so in everything, it's how can I best serve thee? You know, why did Dr. Silkworth put his reputation on the line and allow drunks to come in and and do work here because he cared about those people he was, you know, looking to help. And, um, and, and so that's what I need to bring with me. You know, if I go in fearlessly looking to be useful, um, I can do no harm. And, you know, and the other thing is this um, friendship that we have from coast to coast is just the most powerful thing. Most of my friends all my life have lived, all my life have lived within a certain proximity from where I live, whether they're work friends or neighborhood friends or high school friends. Um, but I have friendships here that go across the continent and actually go outside of the United States um, that are real and powerful and we can rely on, I can rely on to get me back in touch with um, the answer, you know, and so 
Um, we need to make use of that. And I, I do stress that with people that I work with. Like, you know, if you have a problem night eating, hello, you're in New York. Call the West Coast. It's not so late there. Thank you. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Deb W., you're up, followed by Bob B. Good morning. This is Deb W., and I forgot I sound like a frog, but I'm going to still try to share because this really resonates with me. Um, <clears throat> where it says the presence and power of God. Um, yeah, this is the first time that I really, really saw a direct connection uh, with the presence and power of God related personally to me through my addiction, through a situation that I could not come out of that was killing me. And I saw how long and how you know long my experience with fighting, trying on my own will to do this and couldn't. Um, you know, I am... We're all appreciative of this doctor who looked away from what medical uh, uh, had found to be, you know, what they believe and what they substantiated to what he saw, and then he believed what he saw. I mean, it it didn't matter that it made sense or not, but he saw something new and different, and he was willing to get past what his mind, his head, what was, you know, uh, proven on paper to what he saw in front of him that was working for this group. Um, you know, at some time in our lives, and I, I know in my life in program, outside of the program, I had to use the words that would not make sense to a lot of people who might look at me you know, sideways how of how I don't have to eat like that anymore. You know, even today my family still, they kind of go, okay, mom, we know what mom does, but they don't really understand that this direct, <laughs> direct link to this power to God is found in this fellowship. It's found in my life. And, you know, it is, is proven by what I experienced rather than what, you know, was proven. And uh, um, anyway, I just wanted to, uh, you know, say that I guess I'm done. Uh, thank you. Thank you, um, Deb. Bob B., you're up, followed by Matt M. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your service, and thanks for this uh, meeting this morning. I'm Bob B. I'm a recovered but not cured compulsive overeater from Westchester, Pennsylvania. And this paragraph brings back uh, a lot of memories and thoughts to my mind, and I'm kind of wandering in my thinking at the moment. But a, a friend of mine said to me one time, I have good news and bad news. The good news is I'm feeling my feelings, and the bad news is I'm feeling my feelings. Um, that resonates with me uh, in terms of how I deal with my feelings. And my feelings are just feelings. They're not facts. Um, I also think that uh, my higher power, God, founded this program and used certain people the, that we know or started this program, and Dr. Silkworth was certainly one of them. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, thinking about how God used Dr. Silkworth 
uh, and then Dr. Silkworth uh, let it let higher power uh, into the program uh, in terms of his thinking, uh, in terms of his clients. And another thing, it talked about east to west, and what it reminded me of in, in our fellowship uh, is the importance of being able to walk into a meeting anywhere in the world uh, and find higher power there. Higher power is always there. It's with me. It's with, always with the fellowship in every meeting. I can remember specifically um, going to a meeting in Belgium, uh, and I had called up a, a contact at that meeting, and they told me how to get there, and uh, it was a long, long time getting there. But got into that meeting, and I found myself in a meeting with maybe 12 to 15 French people uh, or Belgian people speaking French. Well, I don't speak French at all. Uh, so I figured, oh, boy, I'm in trouble in this meeting. The woman who I talked to on the meeting sat next to me in that meeting, and she conducted the meeting, uh, translated the meeting from French to English for every time or every share that was made in that meeting. And when I shared, she translated back into French. And that was just such a gift to know that wherever I go in the world, my higher power is there and my higher power is is teaching me uh, what great and important service is in this program. Um, and faith without works is dead. And I'm grateful that I'm aware of that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Bob. Okay, Matt M., you're up. Thank you for your service. This, good morning, everyone. This is Madame Composable Reader. And it's amazing if it wasn't for Dr. Silkworth how AA would have grown in leaps and bounds as it did. And seeing all the different kinds of people I got to meet at meetings over the years, and I knew I met at the convention, normally we are people who would not mix. And it's a great feeling to know that I have something in common with all you wonderful people because I am a Composable Reader of the Hopeless Variety. I'm grateful that I don't have to die from this disease. You know, I'm grateful that I have somewhere to go, that I do have a, play, a, a place where I can call my own. And I'm, and I'm grateful that AA is great, showing how much you grow, beliefs and balance, just by his own article that he put in, the doctor's opinion. If it wasn't for that, we, the big book would not be able to be translated. It's like the Rosetta Stone for the book. It's the keystone of the big book. And uh, here he put his career on, on, on the line for us, and uh, he was paid back in leaps and bounds for he was really the great medical benefactor of medical state. And he's the reason why a lot of us are here today, you know, and I'm grateful that I am here today thanks to him. And um, I've met people from the East and West. I've met people from overseas. I'm, I got that on phone calls from, um, from New Zealand, from Australia, from all over the place, from Montreal, Canada, Ontario, Mexico. So it's it's really amazing how far we've come, and really a lot of this stuff has to go back to Dr. William C. Silkworth, you know, I'm grateful for that, and if it was, like I said, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Matt. Okay, if you're just joining us this morning, we started on page 161, it's the third paragraph, under only slightly different conditions, read through two paragraphs, ending in, in this helpful interchange. So who else would like to share? Charles Deborah H. Lisa B. Deborah Lisa B. Amy Laura H. H. Laura H. Okay. Um, anyone else? Deborah B. Kristen. Kristen. Angie. 
Was that Chrissy G? Yes, Chrissy G, and then someone after me. And then Deborah. Amy D. Okay. Deborah B. Yes, I got you, Deborah. Okay. Um, uh huh. Okay, so I have Charles H., Lisa B., Deborah B., Laura H., Chrissy G., and Amy G. And um, Charles H., if you want to start. There was a Ron somebody in there. Thank you very much, Katie, for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, so I went to a meeting, you know, face-to-face meeting yesterday. It was an anorexic meeting and um, bulimic, and, but it was still OA because it's still OA. And, you know, I, I brought the big book out, and I talked about, I talked about the four characteristics and more about alcoholism, the four people that were um, abstinent. I talked about the five, um, the five classifications in the doctor's opinion. And I also said this. Dr. Silkwork says that just going to meetings will not bring about the psychic change that is necessary for your recovery. If you truly want to solve your problem of addiction to alcohol or other addictions, we believe you must actually work the 12 steps. And you know what? And not to knock them, they just don't know. They don't know, right? I didn't know. I didn't know that. You know, I always thought I was classification five, right? Um, but that's a lie because if I was classification five, then abstinence would be my solution. Um, right. So so I went to the meeting and then, you know, I told a lot of people about Vision for You and I told them about the family afterwards and I told them about some big book meetings and I, we talk, and I talked about the steps. This vision is so great because your food plan is an outside issue. That's amazing. And where can you go to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and not talk about food. You should be able to, it's OA, you should talk about food, right? And um, Dr. Silkwork says we have to separate ourselves from it. He says we totally got to separate ourselves from it, and he says that these drunks can talk the language of the heart to these other drunks, that I can't talk. I've experienced them. And, and people said, where did you get that picture sent from? I said, I said, I got it from reading the big book. I got it from studying the big book, that I can't do this alone. And it's just a revelation that this doctor is speaking to me 80 years later through divine inspiration and through black and white pen and paper. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Charles. Okay, uh, next is Lisa B. followed by Deb B. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and thank you for your service. I'm just very happy to be here this morning. Um, The line that jumps out for me is where he's talking about, um, many of us felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. And, you know, I don't always see my higher, I never really see my higher power. I need to trust and believe in this unseen force. But I see where my higher power has been. I see where my higher power has walked in my life and the restoration and issues that I have tried through so many other resources outside of these 12 steps to get relief. And it really wasn't until I got into this program, jumped in 110% with that desperation that we always hear everyone talking about on this line, that I can see where my higher power has been. And that's the gift of working with others because I can see my higher power working in them. 
You know, it's just amazing. And it reminds me on um, page 10 in Bill's story, he talks about getting in touch with the spirit of the universe, which knew neither time nor limitation. I love that. I find such hope, such, I don't even know how to put words into what I feel with that, that line there. It gives me I don't know. I don't even have a word for it, but I love it. And I grabbed on to that because that's how I feel, the spirit of the universe. And I love the words that Bill uses to refer to his higher power. And then I think about in the doctor's opinion and this beautiful man, you know, Dr. Silkworth, who says that, um, let's see here, they believe in themselves and still more in the power, which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. And that's why working with others whether it be recovered co-fellows that I talk to on a daily basis, working with newcomers, I constantly see this unseen force, this higher power working, and it inspires me. It carries me through. It helps me. And I then, too, you know, can be on that end where I'm sharing this helpfulness and inspiration because the higher power that's working in me, I can share that with others. It's not meant to be kept alone, private, inside of me. Um, and I think, um, oh, the other thing I just wanted to share is when he talks about six years ago, uh, the member, you know, that had this incredible recovery. You know, six years when we see how desperate Bill was, it reminds me of that story in the doctor's opinion where that guy was just really, really uh, a bad case. It's the one that Dr. Silkworth ends his story on. And he says, however, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. And he talks about him being a fine specimen of manhood. And this person was really, really a desperate case. It doesn't have to take a long time. I can jump into these steps, work with someone who knows this book, who has had the experience themselves, and can share with me how to go through this book, follow the precise uh, spiritual remedy laid out in this book. And it doesn't have to take forever for me to experience this incredible transformation. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Okay, Deborah B., you're up, followed by Laura H. Good morning. My name is Deborah B., and I'm a um, compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from Chicago. What stands out to me is that felt the presence and power of God. Um, it reminds me of a story that I read once that um, when Jesus was in the boat and he and his disciples going to go to the other side, and a fierce wind uh, came up, and the disciples were so afraid, and Jesus got and made the storm be still. And that happened to me yesterday. For some time now, I had been planning to have um, a dinner to take my children and my grandchildren out for dinner, but a fierce storm rose up in a person, you know, against me. And um, I was so thankful for God because when I came to the program, I thought I knew God. I really thought I had a personal, intimate relationship with God, but my sponsor gave me a prayer called the lay aside prayer. And during my meditation, I began to pray that prayer. Every single morning I prayed. And all during the day, I would ask God, show me, help me, Father. I would pray. And God's been really showing me a lot about who he really is. that I didn't have a relationship with him at all as far as really knowing the power of God. And yesterday when that storm rose up, arose up against me, I, I thought about the story of Jesus in the boat. And I didn't. I didn't let it stop me because I got in my car after what happened happened. I got in my car and I still went. I set out to, to take the, the, the family to dinner and I did that. Now here's the miracle. That was one miracle there because I didn't 
retract and go and get into bags and boxes and start binging. I didn't do that. That was God's miracle. God showed me himself mighty in my life. And then when I got to the restaurant, I, I did not overeat. I did not. I ate a healthy meal. And I came home, and I was so thankful to God because it reminds me so much of when Jesus says something, that's the way it's going to be. And I realize now that food is not my problem. I'm learning that food is not my problem. I know that it's not my problem. Dealing with life is my problem, and the solution is God. And that's what this program does for me. It, it gives me, you guys help me to get closer and closer to God as far as knowing who he really is and not depending on something super, superficial like the food that destroys my mind and my body. So I'm so thankful for that, and I thank God for all of you on this call, and with that I pass. Thank you, Deborah. Laura H., you're up, followed by Chrissy G. Good morning. This is Laura H., recovering from Chicago. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay, hi. Um, thank you for your service, and thanks, everybody, for being on the line. I just flew in last night from a region convention of OA, and am just feeling tremendous gratitude and total surrender to this process. Um, uh, the line that jumps out the page for me is about finding your HP. Um, I really was, I thought, a faith-filled woman. Woman, I really thought I had a good relationship with God, and I was nearly 350 pounds. And my life was dark, and it was scary, and I couldn't get out from it. I couldn't find my way, and I didn't know what I didn't know. I really would have told my, I did, I, I think I told my doctor, I'm the fittest fat person you'll ever meet, uh, my body is betraying me, I really was in the state of being it was ridiculous, and only my HP brought me and delivered me from this relentless disease. I just want to share too, um, so uh, at this region convention, it was powerful, so many different speakers, it was fantastic. But I do find myself, uh, if I came into program at 48 years of age, and I find myself when I'm in these rooms and I'm hearing people so vulnerable and so filled with their spirit, I find myself very emotional for them, for me, you know, because I can hear their story and identify in. And uh, I didn't like the feelings I was feeling um, because I don't like to feel my feelings. So even in an OA convention, and I'm surrounded by, you know, people in strong recovery, and there are people there not in strong recovery. Maybe they're in relapse. It's not my business, but I found myself with a food thought, and I, I don't usually have food thoughts anymore. So I was uncomfortable, and I had to tell three people. I had to go find people and just pull them and say, hey, because you've got five minutes, i got to tell you this. And I had to get honest. And so I was able, now I'm able to say the fear. And, and the fear is that I will be back up to seven, you know, I'll be the one who goes past 350, gets up to 700 pounds, you're going to have to cut me out of my house, and my, my sons will lose their mother, and, you know, this is what my mind does, my sick mind. And that was in an OA convention surrounded by people. And that's my truth. I'm not, I, I wish I could say my disease leaves me alone, but it doesn't always leave me alone. And um, for today, I'm grateful I'm grateful to all of you for being on the line. I am abstinent today by the grace of my higher power, which I choose to call God. Thank God for AA. Thank God for OA. With that, I pass. 
Thank you so much. Um, okay, Chrissy G, you're up, followed by Amy G. Hi, Chrissy G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. And I remember my first meeting and going, uh, I was probably 18 at, to an OA meeting. And it was the first 12-step meeting I had ever been to. And then after that, I started to go to another 12-step program. But in that moment when I was sitting in that room and I was hearing people talk about their addictions and how how food was dominating their lives, I did feel the power and the presence of God for the first time. And I do believe that all the, all the time since, countless times, that I felt the power and presence of God through another person in this program, it it was because they were they allowed God to come in and use them, and I I know that there comes a time with for me in the day in the in the month in my life whatever time period I'm going through where I could make a choice to have let God use me, to have the courage to let him use me to help other people, or I could I could back down. And this is a really good example of the power of God working through um, Dr. Silkworth. And for me, I have to let God, I can't be, I can't be so falsely modest to think that God can't use me in great ways to help other people. I can't, I can't think that it's it it's the ego in reverse to think that you know I I see that it, it anybody can be used um, by God if if they allow him to and that's my job my job is to get really small and have the my ego deflated through the process of these twelve steps and to to know that it's not me. The power is coming from the source greater than me, but that I can be used, that I can absolutely be an instrument of God's peace and recovery. And I, that's, that's my purpose. That's my, my, my prayer. I, I live it every day that I can be useful because I know that there's no, really no joy or recovery or, um, good life outside of that you know the life that I tried to create for myself and make for myself was was really a prison and and I thankfully know that the release from that prison is through a power greater than myself and with that I pass okay thank you so much um Amy G you're up followed by Rob G Hi, Katie. This is Amy G., a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Thanks, Katie, so much for your service and for Team Monday. Um, those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis, well, for me, it always helps to review what is recovering on a spiritual basis. As many have already shared so succinctly this morning, it's putting the food down, not not using my alcoholic foods, having a boundary around and, uh, my foods and a, and a line in the sand knowing exactly in my food plan what is abstinent, what is not, then it's recovering through the process of having a spiritual awakening of through the process of working the 12 steps and living on a spiritual basis in 10, 11, and 12. 
And, you know, I really loved what, what, what Harlan was talking about. You know, when I first came to sponsoring and, and being of service to the still suffering compulsive overeater, was I, was I afraid? Sure, sure, I was afraid. But to be honest with you, I was more afraid of not sponsoring than I was of sponsoring because the book makes it very, very clear. It makes it very, very clear. I mean, we just talked about it a couple pages ago where it says Bill and Bob got together and said, look, we, in order to stay sober, we must be spiritually active. We must carry the message. So for me, I knew that I had to go out there and I had to share the message to the best of my ability. And for those who are willing and able, then, you know, I was going to be a vehicle of the message. And I was going to continue to learn and grow in this program in the meantime because that's what I have to do. I mean, left to my own devices, I'm going to be selfish, self-centered, and, you know, before I know it, the food's going to come a-calling. I must be spiritually active. And to me, that propelled me. For fear, fear propelled me better than an altruistic, you know, thought <laughs> wanting to serve others, to be honest with you. But now, again, as we read a couple paragraphs ago, that is secondary to the wonderful things that have opened up in my life and the purpose that I have in going out there and carrying that message and watching the eyes, you know, of others like myself when we first walk into those meetings. And what's interesting to me, what others have shared about, too, about the actual, you know, meeting rooms, when I first came to the program, I, I really struggled with my agnosticism, and someone brilliantly said to me, well, then make it the power of the group and those in whom the problem had been solved. You know, we had a convention with 750 people in a room, and it was electric. I didn't need to pretend that there wasn't a higher power. I felt a power greater than myself in that meeting, in those rooms, in that conference room. And I feel that today when I go to a meeting and there's recovered people there. It's so important for us to bring that recovered message to our local Overeaters Anonymous meetings because that's where these newcomers come. And then the last thing I want to say about the fast friendship. I don't know about you all, but having been a few 24 hours in these rooms, my best friend and my learning how to be a friend to others have happened in these rooms. The value of the friendships and those who have come to my aid and been by my side through this recovery process, I wouldn't trade that for the world. My, my only relationship prior to the program was with an inanimate object. But today, I have true friends. And with that, I'll pass. What a blessing. Thank you, Amy. Okay, Rob G., you're up. Hi, my name's Rob. I'm a compulsive eater in Chicago. Um, yeah, first time sharing on this call. Just really identified with the reading there. Uh, struck me two ideas. You know, the one that, you know, Dr. Silkworth was willing to kind of uh, go outside of the box, as it were, with his conventional practice and, you know, let alcoholics start talking with other alcoholics and just, just being willing to take that risk um, really uh, resonates with me in a sense that um, I've, I learned about this call a few weeks ago and um, I, you know, I've been back in Chicago for about three and a half years and I've really had to learn to be willing to take new risks or explore new avenues for my recovery from compulsive eating um, you know, and the second part that jumped out at me was this, the idea that, you know, there's these friendships that have grown, you know, east to west and they go back, there's the interchange and whatnot. And, uh, for me specifically, it's, you know, um, how the fellowship grows for me is this idea of, 
you know, phone bridge meetings. Uh, I got abstinent in Los Angeles in 2006, and uh, I got abstinent in face-to-face meetings, you know. Um, I, I I really didn't know anything of phone bridge meetings until I moved out here, and um, I have, I've been in a relapse uh, since 2014, and uh, it has been a, you know, a real exercise in that same willingness that Dr. Silkworth had of like, all right, let's try something else. Let's try something else. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful. I found this. I really am grateful. I found this call. I mean, it has been like breathing through a wet towel, you know, finding that, you know, recovery that resonates with me. There's not, you know, recovery is great. I, I, you know, different, there's all kinds of different recovery. Um, but really finding something that's like, wow, that I want what you have, that acid test of I want what you have has been a real just like, well, let's try this. Well, let's try this. Let's keep trying. Let's keep trying. Let's keep trying. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful for that insight that this reading has kind of revealed to me, and I'm really grateful for this call and all you folks. Uh, that's my time. Thanks. Pass. Thank you, Rob. Okay, we have two more minutes. Would someone like to take that? Ross M. Okay, Ross M. Go ahead. Russ M. Good morning. It's Russ M. Postal reader outside of Philadelphia. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being on this line. Whew, silky. That's my man. Uh, all my life, uh, I knew I had some issues with food. Until I read the doctor's opinion, it made sense. And uh, I thank God for this man uh, that he identified it and put, put like, skin and, and understanding on what's going on in my life with this food. And I just think these guys, what they've sacrificed, he sacrificed his career. I know he was jammed up and he, he went to towns, but how many people did this man help? And it comes to us, right? It comes to us. And then we talk about fast friends. If it wasn't for some of you on this line today, that, that have reached out to me and gave a you-know-what about me, I don't think I would be on this line because I was in pretty bad shape. And to know that I, if I'm in the gym and I'm unsure, i got a question. There's people that could teach me, that can, you know, they can teach me. But if it wasn't for Silky and, and Bill, I wouldn't be teachable. So I'm just grateful on this Monday morning that I could get up and start my week with everyone on this line. And if nobody told you, told you they love you, I love you. And uh, I appreciate you. And keep keep it going and pass it on. Have a wonderful week. And I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, we have come to the end of our time. Thank you to everyone who shared. Thank you, Nancy H., Esther F., Katie G., Craig F., Deb W., uh, for your participation. And I uh, please join us for our second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, October 23rd, is 10578. That's 10578. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Craig F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to God and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.